We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's funny, I've been sick, and so uh, Jane asked me if I needed a cough drop. I said, no, I need a new brain. That's what I need. I feel uh, so discombobulated, but thank God for His Word, huh? That's all that really matters. It doesn't matter if it comes out smooth or eloquent. All that matters is that it comes out true, you know? So uh, let me pray with you guys one more time. Lord, just come before you, thanking you so much, Father, for this beautiful congregation. Lord, the people and the things that you're doing in their life. Lord, I ask that you would just open our eyes, open my eyes, that we might see wondrous things from your law. And Lord, as we study together today, I pray, Lord, that you would just teach us and use the word, Lord, to draw us closer to you and to keep us in that place so that we can be used by you, Father. I do love you, and I thank you. I pray for every person here, Lord, especially those that are struggling, especially anyone right now that might feel distant from you, uh, maybe some that have drifted away. Maybe they have uh, become a prodigal. Maybe they have backslidden. It doesn't even matter because you can bring us back to where we belong today, and I pray that you would do that, Father. I ask that you would strengthen your church be glorified, and together, all the believers here today, pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation, Lord. Work in our hearts like only you can. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, okay, here we go, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? We come now to a section in the scriptures that it's, uh, it's prophecy, it's eschatology. It has to do with the last days. And we're going to see today that it has to do with an order of events, a chronology. And when it comes to prophecy, I'll be honest with you, a lot of people are really more interested in that. They just kind of want to know, like, how is it all going to happen? And give me the technicalities of it. But I want you to be careful with that. It's not just information. It's transformation. You know, God wants to work in our life to where it's not just chronology, it's character. God wants to change our life. God wants to work in us so that we would be more and more like him. You know, when it comes to prophecy, I've seen some people, man, and they have all the information and they know 
all the order of events and, you know, all the scriptures and kind of like backwards and forwards and inside and out, but they don't have the love of Christ. To me, it's like uh, the difference between, let's just say you're, you know, there's a plane that's going to be landing in LAX and it's coming from whatever, New York, and, and you've got the guy and he's in the, you know, he's got the job, he's one of their airline controllers, the flight controllers, and he knows all the information and he knows the exact, uh, to the minute, you know, when that plane's going to arrive and he knows that r- runway and he knows he knows uh, all the speeds involved and the pilots and the plane and the engine. And he knows all the details of it. But he's not really excited about the plane coming because it's a distinction between him and let's just say you've got this gal over here like Mark was talking about, a happily married man who maybe his wife's been gone on a journey, she has on a business trip, or maybe she went to go visit some family, and she's coming on that plane, and she's landing on that plane. Who do you think's more excited? The husband waiting to meet his wife, or the airline controller who has a whole bunch of information? You see, when it comes to the Lord, it, I, we got to know these things, and I think in one sense it's good to have both, it's good to know the information and the scriptures and the, and the details and the chronology and the eschatology and the theology and the order of events and all that kind of stuff. But the most important thing is that we got to know Jesus is coming, our Lord. Our Lord is coming. Are you guys excited about that? Man, he could come at any moment. Are you ready for that? And I wonder if I was to ask, and I, sometimes I, I, want to, I want to ask you guys to raise your hand. Like, how many of you are struggling, man? How many of us are, are you guys raise your hand anyways. You guys are so transparent, you know? Because sometimes I feel like I want to raise my hand. And I do that sometimes as a pastor because I want you guys to know that it, it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us where we struggle, we go through difficulties and I, and I say that to you not to make light of it, but just so that you won't give up. Don't give up. You know, we go through hard times, but you want to know something? You're redeemed. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. You're washed in the blood of Jesus. You place your faith in him, you believe in Christ, then you're his. And we can't give up. We can't. You know, and the Lord is coming, and, and as He's coming, you know, it, it's like the days are, are getting darker. And as a pastor, I have to be honest with you, sometimes I, I get concerned, and, you know, I, I got to be careful. I don't got, go to an extreme, but, man, I don't want you to be deceived. There's a lot of crazy people that are teaching crazy things. There's a lot of false prophets on there. Some of them are on the television. Some of them are on the radio. A lot of them are writing books. They're out there and they're infiltrating the church and they're coming under the radar and they're teaching a lot of weird things. And basically what we find is that, you know, there's a, there, there, to be a healthy Christian, to know the Bible well, you know, to not be a health, wealth, and prosperity person or to not be this one over here who's all into spiritism and and weird things, to just really have a good understanding of the Scriptures, a good balance of the Bible, is such an important place to be. 
it's important because unless you're there rooted, then what ends up happening is you become vulnerable. This is what the enemy is trying to do. Look at verse 2. Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. That is what the devil is trying to do. He's trying to shake your mind and he's trying to trouble you. You know, and and what we find is that, you know, that a, a right knowledge of the Bible will protect you from these things. He wants to change your thinking because if the devil can get your mind, he can get your heart, right? And what does he want you to do? He does not want you to walk by faith. You want to know how he wants you to walk? By fear. Next thing you know, you're making all your decisions based on the things that you're afraid of. That's not how God wants us to operate. As a matter of fact, the only one you should fear is God. But even in that, there has to be a healthy fear of God. God is not here like waiting for you to mess up so that he can give you a trancaso. Some people have that mentality of God, like if I just you know, move a little bit to the right or the left, man, he's going to give me a one right over the head. He's going to you know, kill me or whatever. And you know, that's not a healthy fear of God. God is so gracious and long-suffering. God is so beautiful. God is so wonderful. You, you are the apple of his eye. He loves us. And what we have to understand is that the enemy has an agenda. So does God. The way that we can stay on track is really by, by knowing the Bible, knowing it well. I was talking to my son on the way over here, and I asked him, how do you, do you feel, son? Do you feel like you're close to God? And he said, Dad, I feel closest to God when I'm in the Word, when I'm in the Word. And I said, man, that's a good answer, son. Got to be in the Word. We got to know our Bibles well. That's kind of what Paul says here again in verse 1. He says, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. See, evidently, this was one of the primary reasons of writing this letter the second letter to the Thessalonians. Someone claimed to have a word from the Lord or a word from Paul, the apostle of the Lord, or maybe a letter from the apostle that had been forged to be claiming from him. Imagine that. This is how desperately the enemy wants to take us out of orthodoxy into never-never land, right? The Thessalonians apparently were shaken and troubled because they had been deceived into thinking that the day of the Lord had already come. You know, and I know that sounds weird. You're like, the day of the Lord had already come. How could they possibly believe that? You know, well, believe it or not, there are some who believe that today. Have you ever heard of a Jehovah Witness? They believe that Jesus has already come. That's what they believe. If you study their theology, it's interesting. The founder, Charles Taze Russell, first taught that the world would end in 1874. That's what he taught. 
Now, when that didn't happen, he kind of had to change his theology a little bit, right? And so he changed his calculation to 1914. Now, when that didn't happen, what he did was he said that Jesus did come, but he came invisibly, right? And so there are some people who actually believe that the day of the Lord had already come. It's interesting, in verse 1, the, the word coming. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is not in reference to the rapture, okay? Just in case you're wondering. The Greek word is parousia, okay? It's parousia. And it speaks of the presence of the Lord. It speaks of the arrival of Jesus Christ. It speaks of the visible, the visible return of of Christ from heaven to raise the dead and judge the world. And so when we're speaking of this context right here, we're speaking of that time where Jesus comes and Jesus arrives and the presence of the Lord is here. And we're going to see he begins to judge the world. And unfortunately, there were some there in Thessalonica who taught that the day of the Lord had already come and they were being shaken. They were being troubled. And yet Paul tells them there in verse 2, you know, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. You know, don't be shaken. Literally, the word right there speaks of something produced by the winds and the waves and the storms of the sea. And the enemy is relentless against us, right? With his false doctrine, he wants to shake us mentally in our minds and our thinking, he wants to influence and control not only our theology, but our thinking. Why? Because if he can get your mind, then he can get your heart, right? And he wants to shake us in mind in order that he might, it says right there, trouble us. The word means to disturb. It means to alarm. It means to confuse. It literally means to cry out loud and refers to someone who is actually frightened. I wonder if any of us can identify with that today, where the enemy maybe has already done that, where he's shaken you, he's got to the way you're thinking. You know, he's got you to a place where you're functioning on fear. You know, there's a beautiful verse I would like to give to you today in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that this might happen, Manny. I'm afraid of that calamity that might happen. I'm, this might happen to my, my kid or me or financially or physically. And, and you know, the bottom line is that God loves you. And when you understand that perfect love, it casts out all fear. Now, what if some calamity happens to me? What if I, I lose my job? What if something happens to my child? Does that mean that God doesn't love me? No. It means that God has a greater plan. It means that God has something going on that you and I, yes, we don't understand. But I want you to know this, that God will take that calamity in your life and he will use it for his glory. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, it didn't make any sense. But it was in that act 
that we were redeemed. And so when you understand that the perfect love, then it casts out all fear. It, it takes away that part, I think, of our heart that wants to function in a way that God doesn't want us to function in. You know, I think of these, uh, these planes that went down. I don't, you guys have probably heard about Air Asia and, and all the, the passengers that died. And from what I understand, uh, one-fourth of the passengers that died were uh, from a church there in Indonesia. They're Christians. And so someone says, well, how can God allow that to happen? How can God allow those Christians you know, to die like that? And, and, I, and I guess in one sense, the answer is, or, or the, the way that you find you know, peace in that, is that they're not at the bottom of the ocean. You know, they're not still strapped in their whatever they think they're still there. They're not there. They're in glory. They're in glory. God took them home. They may not, you may not like it, but I tell you what, they like it. <laughs> and their family might not like it, but God is going to take that and use it for good. And I tell you what, if God wanted any of them to survive, then they would have survived. No one could have stopped it. You know, I think of this other plane that went down. I don't know if you guys heard about it in Kentucky. Uh, There's five, I think, on the plane, and it and it and it and it and it and it came down. And but the next thing you know, there's a seven-year-old little girl. Did you guys hear about that? And she goes and she walks three quarters of a mile in crazy terrain in the middle of the night, and she knocks on the door. She's got blood on her body, but she's alive because God wanted her to be alive. See, God's on the throne. Don't let the enemy shake your mind. Don't let him alter your thinking. God is good. God is on the throne. Don't let the enemy trouble you. You know, I think about it sometimes, and I worry about my family, and I worry about my wife, and I worry about my kids. Sometimes even worry about the church. You worry about whatever it might be. And God says, stop it. Don't worry, you don't have to, because I'm on the throne. I'm sovereign, and I'm in control. And you want to know how I know that? Because I know my Bible. My Bible says that God knows every single hair I have on my head. My Bible says that, you know, he knows the difference between the black ones and the gray ones, and my Bible says that he knows every single tear I've ever cried, and he keeps them in a bottle. My Bible knows that God knows all my thoughts, all my words, every time I sit and every time I, I rise. I can face a day. I can face everything because of theology, because I know what my Bible says. And when I understand that, then I won't be shaken in mind. And I won't be troubled, which is exactly what the enemy wants to do to us. He does not want us to walk in peace and with a solid walk. You know, I was even telling my son, and we were talking, and I was opening up to him because, you know, he is 18 now, right? And I'm like, okay, you're my, still my son, but you're also my brother,
And I said, do you ever feel like God's far away? Do you ever feel that? I rarely feel that. I very rarely feel that. But every once in a while, I do. And we were just talking, and I, and I said, well, it doesn't matter how you feel. The reality is he lives in us. He lives in us. God's not far. God lives in our heart. That's theology. That's what the Bible says. And so, you know, I'm not saying, you know, that you might feel, not feel certain ways at, at certain times. But it's so cool, huh, when you know the Bible. You know, and, and right here what we find is that these guys were coming in and they were, they were, they were telling things that were contrary to Scripture. And Paul says, don't, don't let him do that to you. He says, don't be shaken in mind. He says right there, look at verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. See, that's what the devil will try to do. He'll try to shake us in mind and trouble us. He'll try to deceive us. And man, let me tell you something. He's going to do it in some pretty creative ways. He really will. Notice he says right there in verse 2, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. He mentions three things, either by spirit or by word or by letter. And you can write those three things down. Those are three, three ways the enemy will try to deceive you. You guys are Bible believers. You're Christians. You you know, you, you studied the scriptures, you sat under the teaching of, you know, Paul the Apostle or whatever, you know. But it's still the enemy will come and try to shake your minds and trouble you. He'll try to deceive you, number one, by spirit. And you're like, well, well what's that? Demons. Demons. Some miraculous message. Whether it's Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Fatima. You know, whether it's uh, like Galatians chapter 1 says, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, let him be accursed. Paul says, me, it doesn't matter if it's an angel, some type of spirit. If they teach anything contrary to scripture, then don't buy it. You know, the devil knows your past. The devil knows the things that, you know, you've experienced in life. So someone comes up and they give you some message about your past. And the next thing you know, they follow it up with some type of prophecy or word of knowledge over your life. You better test those spirits. First John chapter 4, 1, it says, test the spirits, whether or not they're from God. You know, be careful when someone comes up to you. And I'm really careful when someone comes up to me and says, hey, the Lord told me to tell you this. Oh, yeah? I'll test that word. I will take it to prayer. I'm not just going to say it, especially if the same person keeps coming up to me over and over again, supposedly speaking on behalf of God. Well, now you've become an intermediary between me and God. 
I'm not saying that I don't believe in a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, but all I'm saying is be careful. You test those spirits, okay? Is it truly, totally biblical? They'll come by spirit, some miraculous message. They'll come, secondly, it says right here, by word. And that right there, the Greek word uh, logos, it speaks of an articulated word. And, you know, that might be a message you hear on the radio. It might be a, just a, a word uh, spoken audibly. It might be a word spoken eloquently. It might be a word spoken repeatedly. It doesn't mean that that word is true. You know, I'm, sometimes people think, well, because it was delivered confidently, then it's true. No, it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. The question is, is it delivered biblically? Give me the scriptures to support what you're saying to me. See? And that's what he's saying. The enemy will come. He'll try to shake your mind and trouble you. And, you know, it might be some type of miraculous message. Supposedly, it's a spirit. And then, you know, it might be this word delivered eloquently or repeatedly, confidently. It might be the third thing he mentions right there is a letter. He said, or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. You know, I referred earlier to the Jehovah's Witnesses who, you know, have used this approach as well. They uh, say that their writing or their letters are just as authoritative as the Bible. They have their own version of the Bible. It's called the New World Translation. And so for them, the best way to change beliefs was to change the Bible. And so you got to be careful, you know, if they bring you their Bible I remember one time we had a prayer meeting. One of the guys had the New World Translation. I says, hey, bro, let me trade you. you know? And I kind of took that one and put it in the trash. Um, it's not a good translation. The Mormons, they do the same thing. They take the Bible and they add, you know, the Pearl of Grace Price, the Doctrine of Covenants, the Book of Mormon. They try to take their letters and make it equal with the Bible you know, even today, you know, in the Catholic Church, you know, they'll take the traditions of the church and they'll take the Pope, they call him ex cathedra, and they say that his, if he sits in that seat, is equivalent to the scriptures. And it's for that reason that they're able to add to the Bible. And this is what you guys need to know. Jude verse 3. It says the faith has been delivered once for all. Okay, there's no more, you know, new writings. There's no more new letters. You know, I know we like sequels. You guys are all into sequels and stuff. But no, there, there's no more writings. You know, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 18, it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And so here's the thing, you guys, stay on track. Know the God of the Bible. Know the God who's so gracious and wonderful and forgiving and holy and, and just... Amazing, know this God. 
know that, that he's the one that, that's coming. And if someone tries to tell you that he's already here, tell them they're out to lunch. <laughs> Just say, no, when my Jesus comes, I'm going to see him. And when my Jesus comes, he's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. And prior to Jesus coming to judge the world, the Bible says that I'm not appointed unto wrath. He's going to rapture me out. I know my Bible. And you guys won't be turned into a theological pretzel, okay? <laughs> you see, we need to know the coming of Christ and our gathering together to him. We need to know that we should not be shaken or troubled or deceived because before Jesus comes and his arrival, his parousia, his presence, which is what he's talking about here, before that happens, certain things need to take place first. He mentions it right here. Look at verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And so it's kind of cool that Paul says, you know, I, I told you these things. Um, this is the order of events, okay? That prior to Christ coming, basically this is what he says, prior to Christ coming visibly, the Antichrist will come visibly. See? And that's really clear in our text today. Not only will the rebel come, but with the rebel, the rebellion will come. And that's what he refers to right there, that the, the, the phrase falling away. It's a defection. It's an apostasy. The Greek word is used only one other time in the Bible, Acts 21.21, 21, where it talks about them forsaking Moses, in this case, the day will come when they forsake Jesus. When the church, in a general sense, forsakes Jesus for the Antichrist. It's really fascinating to me that the Greek word apostasia is simply a feminine form of the word apostion which literally speaks of a divorce, a bill of divorce. You see, that day of falling away will be the day the church divorces Christ in order to marry another. And this is why many see these two signs going hand in hand. The rebel antichrist with the rebellion and that is the apostasy. Now, does that mean the church will disappear? No, there will always be a church. And during the tribulation period, there's going to be a great harvest. We know that, right? But in a general sense, and we see that even today subjectively, we see there seems to be a falling away. Days are getting darker. People are going farther. What we see, though, is that when Christ comes, it's going to be even worse. Right here he mentions the individual that's coming. Notice again there in verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The beast, Revelation chapter 13, the willful king, Daniel chapter 11, the prince who is to come, Daniel chapter 9. All these are in reference to 
the Antichrist, mentioned in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. One day he will be, and it's interesting, the Greek word is apocalyptu. We get our word apocalypse from that. means that one day he will be uncovered, he will be laid open, uh, he will be made bare. The days are coming for the revelation of both the Christ and the Antichrist, which is the figure referred to here. He's called the man of sin. And so if you can just kind of like visualize or imagine the man of sin, his nature, his notion, his being, his behavior, all that he is is sin. All that he is is diecast rebellion against God and the ways of God. Other translations call him the man of lawlessness. All that he is is contrary to the laws of the Lord. He's the man of sin. He's the son of perdition. It's a phrase found only one other time in the Bible, and that is in reference to Judas in John 17, verse 12. You know, there are some, and I know this sounds kind of weird, but there are some who believe that the Antichrist might be Judas coming back from the dead. Now, I don't think the Bible teaches that, but it's interesting that those are the only two times this title is referred to. We do know this, that perdition, the son of perdition, perdition simply means destruction. That this Antichrist will in one sense be a vessel, a means, a guide, a leader to destruction. And that's what he will do. And we know that's the agenda of the, the devil, right? John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's the agenda of the devil. Just in case you're wondering, well, how does it all work? Number one, he wants to steal you from God. Number two, he wants you to die right there and then. Number three, because in that process, he will destroy you forever. See, that's the agenda of the adversary is just absolute destruction. The Greek word, he's, the, he's given that transliteration, that title, the Apollyon, the destroyer. That's who the enemy is. That's who the Antichrist is. And what we find, you guys, in looking at this is one day the devil will possess a man in such a way as to rise to power and world dominion. He's the man of sin. He's the son of perdition. He's the beast, according to Revelation 13. He's the little horn in Daniel 7. He's the worthless shepherd in Zechariah 11. He's the coming prince of Daniel 9, the king of Daniel 11, the willful king of Daniel 11:26. But most of us, and the most common title of this coming leader of the last days is the title of the Antichrist. And we read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, that he's coming. It says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So the Antichrist is coming. Are you guys looking for the Antichrist? We're not looking for the Antichrist, huh? Over the years, people have speculated. They've thought, oh, it's the Pope. 
Uh, they've thought it's Hitler, which that one, I think there probably was a little bit of truth to that. You know, they thought it's Obama. I mean, you name it. A lot of crazy things, right, have people have thought. We're not necessarily looking, however, for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ, huh? Because the next thing on the agenda of eschatology is the rapture of the church. God's going to take us home. You know, and, and there's a lot of different opinions as far as uh, who the Lord's going to take. I mean, is he going to take those who are like strong Christians? The carnal Christians are going left, to be left behind. I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I'm just going to share this with you, my heart. I think that the Lord's going to take his church. If you're saved, God's going to rapture you. God's going to take you. I, I don't think that he would, you know, take, you know, leave behind the one who maybe was struggling a little bit but knew him. I think that's bad theology. Because, again, it goes back to shaking your mind and troubling you. No, if you're a Christian, you're the church. And the church is not appointed to wrath. That's the bottom line is. But here's the thing. Are you the church? Do you really know the Lord? Have you given your life to Christ? And for you know, most of you here, hopefully all of you here, you can honestly say that I have. I, I've admitted the fact that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I have looked to Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And if that's what you've done, then praise God. You're free. You're forgiven. You're His. You don't have to worry. But if you haven't done that, then, you know, you're in trouble, man. And you're going to stand before God on your own righteousness. What you need to do is you need to give your life to the Lord because I tell you what, that can happen at, at any time now. And we're going to see later on here that it's a scary thing to be left behind having heard the truth and rejected it. You see, but the Antichrist is coming, and it might even be more accurate to say that he's not just coming, but he will be uncovered. He will be revealed. Because 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And so when John was writing it way back then, he was already there. But the day will come when the Lord, the Holy Spirit working in the church will be taken up out of the way and the restrainer will be gone and then the devil will be revealed. We're living in days like that, wouldn't you say? You know, where there can be a, a world leader who can communicate globally, who can have one government, one world government economically, we're living in those days. I mean, how many of you here are old enough to remember the days before the internet? Just out of curiosity. Okay, that's not that long ago, huh? Some of you still don't know the internet, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> You're probably better off than the rest of us, I tell you, man. But I remember growing up and being in school, we didn't really have the the World Wide Web, and, and, and when I, f I remember when it first started, the World Wide Web, when I would download music, it took 20 minutes to download one song, one song. Does anybody remember that? 
friends, okay? Now you do it in like seven seconds. Why? Because everything's getting set up. You put a little microchip in the back of your hand right here, I tell you what, and you buy and sell with that mark, it makes perfect sense to me. It makes perfect sense. But in Revelation chapter 13, when it talks about that little mark that's going to go in your right hand and your forehead where you can buy and sell, you know, that, there's going to be some type of allegiance with this Antichrist, this one who will one day come and rule. And the Bible says, and whatever you do, if you're here and you get left behind, do not take the mark of the beast. Because after that, man, there's no hope. Now, a lot of people ask, well, how can I put the little microchip in my, in my dog? Yes, go ahead. If you don't have a piece about it, that's fine, you know. But um, that's different. I believe that when that microchip comes and it's going to be on humans and you can't buy or sell without it, there's going to be some type of allegiance with the Antichrist. But you can see God's saying, I'm coming. I mean, and it's happening soon. This man of sin, this son of perdition, this Antichrist who's not just coming but is already here and is just waiting, is just kind of like waiting to be revealed. The only thing that's holding him back now is the church. And one day when we get up and out of here, and let me tell you, man, everything, everything is going to change. We see who he is. We see what he does in verse 4. It says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You know, and Jesus spoke about this. Jesus called it the abomination of desolation. Jesus referred it back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. What we find is that one day the Antichrist, about halfway through, the tribulation period, and it's amazing to me when you read the book of Daniel how it says literally to the very day when he goes in there and apparently what's going to happen is the temple will be rebuilt. So again, for those of you who can go online, you just go online, you just look it up, templeinstitute.org, or if you want to, be even better than that, go to Jerusalem. How many of you here would like to go to Jerusalem? Just go over there and you talk to the Orthodox Jews and you will find not a Christian push, but a Jewish thrust, how they are pushing and just longing so desperately. They're so ready to rebuild the temple. And all that is is a sign of the times because according to the Bible that the Antichrist is going to go into the, literally it's called the holy place right here, and he's going to sit down and he's going to say that, that he is God. He opposes God. He claims to be God. And he exalts himself, it says, above all that is called God or worshipped. And what we know according to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 is that's always been the heart of Satan ever since he fell. He's always wanted to exalt himself above the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. And that's exactly what the Antichrist will do. And so Paul, I love the, the fact that he's just laying out simple theology. You know, some people were trying to say that Jesus had already come, that the parousia was there, the presence was there, the advent was there, the visible return of Christ was there. And Paul's saying, no, not yet. 
Before that happens, there needs to be an apostasy, a falling away. And before that happens, there needs to be an unveiling of the man of sin, the son of perdition, the Antichrist. And so he says, you Christians, don't be shaken in mind or troubled. As a matter of fact, I like the way he closes our text for today. He says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And I tell you what, in closing today, I can't tell you how many times where I've worried or I've fretted or I've failed or I've blown it or I've been troubled or I've been shaken because I've forgotten. I forgot what the Lord told me. You know, when I signed up for being a Christian, I forgot that he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I can't tell you how many times that I've been shaken or I've been troubled or I've struggled because I've forgotten the promise of Romans 8.28 where he said, I will work all things together for good. On all means all. That's all. All means, you know. I, I forget that sometimes. I can't tell you how many times I've forgotten and I thank God even for communion, you know. Because the Lord says, you need to do this in, in remembrance of me. I can't tell you how many times I've struggled because I got my eyes on some person or some situation or some circumstance when the Lord said to fix my eyes on him. On him, right? Isaiah 26.3, you guys remember that passage? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, right? You guys, we have to remember these things that God has taught us uh, throughout the ages, you know? We have to remember our first love. A lot of times, like it says there in the book of Revelation, you know, the church of Ephesus, they were busy. They were doing a lot of things, and I'll be honest with you, myself as a pastor, being involved in ministry, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, teaching the Bible, you can do all those things. And you can forget Jesus. That can happen, huh? Have you guys ever done that? Where you're like, no, I haven't taught as many studies, but you know... You go through life, you go through your day, and you go through whatever it might be, your routine, and you forget him. I think it's cool just to come back, you guys, and never, ever, ever forget these beautiful, fundamental things that he has taught us. Now, sometimes what happens in the church is they want to hear new things. No, I just want to hear new things. And even though it might not have a lot of doctrinal substance to it i just like the excitement of it and they next thing you know they're kind of going that direction on that the latest fad in christianity and you know they want it new and they want it new and oftentimes when it's new it's just not true you know you'll find yourself rather than looking for something new and 
and something that makes you all emotional and, you know, fuzzy and all that kind of stuff, you know, you'll, you'll find, I think, you're better off just sticking to the solid truths of God's unchanging word and love and sovereignty and cross for your life. Rather than going and looking for all those latest fads, my encouragement to you is just to go back to the old-fashioned truths rooted in the blood of Jesus, that he loves you, amen, that he died for you, and that one day we'll be home in heaven forever. Amen. And the carne asada barbecue reunion. And all that kind of stuff. You know, God's doing a, he's doing a deeper work, you guys. He really is. And we're going to go through hard times and we're going to go through struggles. If you could learn to walk by faith and not by sight, if you can learn to walk by convictions and not emotions, by faith and not feelings, then you will be strong. And that's why you got to know His Word. Amen? Let's do that. Lord, thank you.